I'm Rabbi David Orlovsky, and I am a world-famous speaker. It's ironic that a lot of people have never heard of me because I'm so famous, and I often have to tell people who I am because they don't know how famous I am. But uh, I have traveled the world, and I have spoken around uh, from Australia to South Africa to England, North America. Um, you may have noticed mostly English-speaking countries because... Uh, I only speak one language, and uh, that's English. So um, uh, I'm coming to you actually from my home in Yerushalayim, in Jerusalem. And uh, I've, I've experienced something dramatic, and that is something called technology. I will be the first to admit I don't know what that means. I don't know what technology is. I am one of the least technical savvy people around. Yeah. But Or uh, Hashem, there are nice people who come and help me with these things. But somebody showed me recently that one of my uh, shiurim that I gave was put up on the internet and had tens of thousands of views. Tens of thousands of people are listening to my shiurim. And uh, this, this taught me two things. One is there are a lot of people out there who really want to hear me and the second thing is, that I've got to be some way I can make money off of this. <laughs> so anyway, there's this thing called a podcast. Yeah, if you're watching this, then you probably know what that means. I really don't. I, I've never really listened to a podcast. But uh, evidently there are people who, while they're going about their daily life, are uh, listening to uh, speakers, classes, um, shiurim, um, technical groups, all kinds of different things that allow people to have this access. And I thought to myself, I've met a lot of people who tell me, I've seen your videos on the internet. Why aren't there more of them? And the answer is because those videos are because people actually hired me and paid me money to give a lecture in their town. Somebody filmed it and put it up on the internet. So I said, if you want more of those, tell somebody in your community to hire me so that I'll come and speak and we'll put another class up on the internet. So that's, that's my, by the way, my chosen approach. <laughs> Rabbi at RabbiOrlovsky.com. That's the email address you're looking for. But, uh, but then I thought, you know, there is something beyond a Torah class. There's something beyond the shir. There's something beyond uh, that formal presentation. And, and I have this impression, and, and again, bear in mind, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, but I have in mind... Uh, that that's probably what some of these podcasts are. They're probably people who are interesting and actually do something in real life, and then they take out time to uh, broadcast some of their thoughts on a particular subject, sometimes a, a practical subject, sometimes probably just their thoughts on life. I really don't know. Please bear in mind, I don't know what I'm talking about here. But I thought that might be a fun thing to do. And so I have conceived... Um, the concept, and again, I don't have a set, and I don't have a logo. Uh, I put this, I, I put this together just quickly. So this is the Rabbi David Olavsky show. <laughs> now, if you want to see, what, now watch, watch this special effect. You see, look at this. <laughs> we call that a zoom. Watch, watch in the business. We call this. A business. Wow, unbelievable. Anyway, so I don't have a set, and I don't have a logo, I don't have any theme music. 
Um, I can honestly say that the Rabbi Orlowski show has been a tradition for at least a minute. And, um, and this is something new that I decided to try. So that for the people who might be interested in hearing what I have to say um, on different subjects, and uh, as I point out many times in my shiurim, uh, one of the advantages of suffering from ADD is the fact that I can move seamlessly from topic to topic, which uh, makes perfect sense to me. And uh, I'm getting the feeling that most of my audiences also suffer from it. <laughs> so people have no problem being able to keep up with me. So here's the, here's the plan. Here's what we're going to try to do. This is the first one. This is podcast number one. Yeah. Of the Rabbi David Olavsky show. I'm, I'm going to shoot to do this once a week for a half an hour on Thursdays before Shabbos so that you have something to think about going into Shabbos, maybe something to discuss at your Shabbos table. I, I, I will probably do, dedicate a uh, podcast to the Shabbos table because uh, it's an art form and it's one that most people have not mastered, how to be able to run a Shabbos table that people enjoy. I once gave a... Multi-hour class on how to run a Pesach Seder correctly. Maybe we'll do that one time on, on one of these podcasts before Pesach, because uh, there's an art form to being able to run a Pesach Seder, and there's an art form to being able to run a Shabbos table, and there's an art form to be able to paint pictures. But that's a completely different type of an art form, and we're not going to be talking about that there. Although you probably uh, can appreciate the brilliance that went into this logo design, but um, uh, the fact of the matter is that uh, I've said this before in other contexts, if you've been following me, I don't know who's listening to this. That's one of the great things of when you make a recording and it goes out onto the internet or higher cyberspace or the dark web. I don't know where this is going to end up. But when you do it, you have no idea who's listening to it, which is, which is a, a little intimidating for me. You know, when I speak, I like to look at the people. I like to know who I'm speaking to. And when you're, when you're doing something like this, obviously, I don't know who I'm talking to. Now, I'm hoping that if this turns out to be successful and they, we develop more of a following, I'm going to try to set up some sort of a forum where I can take comments and questions and uh, we'll have guests. I don't know what we're going to do, sort of refreshments. I tell you the truth, I'm really outside. <laughs> of my comfort zone over here trying to do this. But, you know, we want to expand it a little bit. So what I want to do is, and, and I have mentioned this in the past in other contexts. You may have never heard of me before. but um, This week is Parshas Noah. It's not because we happen to be up to this section of the Torah and we're reading it now. It's been set up in such a way that the meaning of this week can be found inside of Parshas Noah, if you understand it, if you look for it. And there are many examples I can bring of this from a historical context where something happened during that week and they saw it in the parasha. Sometimes that's just because people have no idea of, you know, uh, enough Jewish background to figure out where things go. When Ariel Sharon decided to throw all of the Jews out of Gaza, 
he picked a date on the English calendar without any particular consideration. It turned out it was Tisha B'Av. <laughs> if you're going to exile thousands of Jews, you know, Tisha B'Av is the wrong day to choose to do that. So when somebody pointed it out to him, he moved the date. But, you know, there's, there's events that take place. And the parasha captures the, the essence of that week. So what I'm going to try to do, and like I say, I'm, I have no script. I have no writers. I, uh, I'm, I'm really, you know, we're, we're, this is something raw and organic. Yeah. So what we want to try to do is take an idea from the parasha and then try to talk about it and see where we can put it into perspective. Okay. So this week is Parsha's Noach. I assume that if you're watching this podcast, um, you are probably familiar with the story of uh, Noah and the Ark. Yeah, um, Not everybody is. When I was uh, running the Long Island region of NCSY, we had, you know, at one point, different uh, classes before Rosh Hashanah where we were discussing the psukim, uh, the verses in Musaf of Rosh Hashanah. And uh, learning it with uh, small groups of uh, of the participants, and uh, they came to the pasuk One of the participants said, "Who's that?" And the um, advisor who was running the group said enthusiastically, "You know, well, you know, there was a big flood. It rained for forty days and forty nights, and the entire world was covered with water." And uh, God came to this guy called Noah and told him to build a big boat and take two of every animal in it, and that's where all of mankind survived. <laughs> this girl looked at her and said, and you believe that? Now, if you've grown up with it, you don't have to really stop to think about it so much. It's become part of, of uh, your sense of reality. When you start to question it, you know, you have to stop and think about it. So we're presented with the story of Noah and the Mabul, and, and there's, uh, the Mabul is, is, of course, the flood, the worldwide flood that covered the entire earth. Um, I'm not getting into the scientific discussion. Is there evidence of a worldwide flood or a localized flood? I, I don't care. I really don't care. You know, <clears throat> I'm starting with an assumption, and that is there's this book called the Torah, and it has been passed down through generations uh, faithfully, and along with an explanation that was codified in the Talmud and the Medrash. And, and that's, that's my starting point. You don't have to agree with me. You know, when I teach, I, I always like to point out, this is a value-free zone. I don't care what you believe. <laughs> I'm not trying to change anybody's belief. I, I, I think that there's a value to the free and open exchange of ideas. But that doesn't mean there are no axioms. It doesn't mean that the we don't start with certain assumptions, right? You work with the assumption that your senses work, although it's not necessarily true. You could be hallucinating that this is actually taking place. I used to teach in seminary, and I would say, do you know anything for sure? And a girl would say, well, I know that I'm an 18-year-old girl in a class in Jerusalem. And I said, no, you're not. You're a 45-year-old man in Kansas, you lost your mind. You had a breakdown. You're hallucinating. You're right now in a mental institution. Yeah. So, um, um, as uh, the sports writer uh, Damian Runyon 
paraphrasing a verse in Tehillim in, in Psalms once said, the race may not always go to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, but that's the way to bet. So do I know 100% that my senses are working and that I'm not insane? No, but that's how I make my decisions, right? So in any discussion, you're going to start with certain axioms and certain assumptions, and, and the, the ones that I'm going to be working with, I'm not out to prove anything, just to, if, you, if you accept certain assumptions, you know? There are evidently podcasts uh, dedicated to um, the discussion of a TV series called Game of Thrones, which evidently there is one of the most popular TV shows in the world. And evidently a lot of people have no problem uh, accepting all of the assumptions that are in that book series and then discussing it based upon that. When the Harry Potter series was very popular, there were many podcasts discussing Harry Potter and the rules of the wizarding world, yeah, if you buy into it. So you don't have to actually believe it's true in order to be able to sit down and discuss it, and that's fine. I always say that. You know, we, we start with a certain set of assumptions, and I always start with a certain set of assumptions. Yeah, I assume that there's a God, that he gave the Torah. It's been passed down correctly, and there's an interpretation that has been codified that God gave to Moshe on Mount Sinai and has been passed down. Those are my assumptions, yeah. So when we read this story, right, and we read the story of Noah and the ark, right, and the whole story of the Mabel. So there, there's a few assumptions that I think a person has to start with, right, and, and that is the following. We Jews don't study history in the sense of history. Um, my friend Ari Khan, Rabbi Ari Khan, I think once said it so beautifully. He encapsulated the concept of Misa of a similar bonum, wherein events that have happened in the past is a sign for future generations. And he had this beautiful phrase he would use. He would say, Jewish history is Jewish destiny. The point is, we don't study ancient texts for insights into 3,000 years ago. If we're studying something today, it's because it's relevant to our lives. Yeah? Gemara and Ksuvis, when it's discussing a takona by Ezra, a decree that was made that no longer applies, the Gemara itself asks them, why, if it doesn't apply, why are we learning this? I'm not studying history. If I learn anything, if I perform a mitzvah, if I do anything, if I study something today, I have to find relevance for it in my life. And I always repeat this, because it's so, I believe, it is the bane of Jewish education that people don't appreciate the relevance of things. Okay, we'll talk about that another time. I don't mind. Yeah. But, um, but well, those, are, those are all my rules going into this, you know. And like I say, we're going to try to keep this to a half an hour until I decide that this is, like, real popular, and then I'll talk for an hour. And if that goes well, I'll just keep talking. I really won't stop. There will be a 24-hour Robert Olavsky thing, and you could just, the camera can follow me around the house. You can watch me eat supper, you know what I mean, and, uh, you know, watch me brush my teeth, which is in itself an experience. But in any event, um, so, uh, so, let's, uh, so let's take a look at Parshas Noach. And there's one thing I want to try to focus on. It's possible for mankind to descend to the point where the world has completely disintegrated. That's what the Mabel teaches us. 
where God says, this place has become so filthy, I have to hose it down. You know, there's just there's nothing left here. It's interesting that water, what does water do? You know, fire burns. And when you burn something, so you're really reducing it to its essence, right? If you, if you, if you uh, cook things, it shrinks. The heat shrinks things. And the more, and the, and the more that it, it shrinks, the more, if you think about it, you're making it more concentrated and getting down to the essence. Water dissolves. When you leave things in water, then the whole thing dissolves. It all disintegrates. It dissipates throughout the water. Yeah? It spreads, spreads all the way around. Uh, there was nothing left to this generation. They disintegrated to the point where there was, there was no hope. There was no hope. Um, and the Medrash and the and uh, it's really based on, on the Pasuk itself, based on the verses and the, and the story, that everybody um, had changed it. Not everybody. Most of the world had broken down all of the barriers that were established. People were um, engaging in relations interspecies. People with animals, people with all kinds of different things, right? And uh, one of them that they discuss is men with men, men with animals, men with trees. Yeah. Every barrier had broken down to the point that what we call humanity has disintegrated. There's a fascinating Rashi that uh, people were quoting uh, in Gemara. When it talks about whether or not somebody is suspected of engaging in um, homosexual relations. And if, if you have to be worried about it. And Rashi says, but since the flood, the people set up certain minimal laws for themselves. Society has. And one of those is that we did away with homosexuality, bestiality, all these kind of things. Society did. This is, this is what the sages say. So he says, so how could you see that there are still people who are suspicious of it? And what Rashi writes is, there are people who may engage in these activities, but society will never write a marriage contract on it. Now, you understand why this made it to the news, this Rashi? Because the Supreme Court in the United States, Paskin, that there's no way to outlaw gay marriage. Now, by the way, uh, I, I understand to a certain extent. I understand. Because uh, everything is based on shared values and shared assumptions. If you, don't, if you don't have shared values and don't have shared assumptions, there's nothing you can do. People have to um, agree on a certain set of basic values in order for society to come along. And one of those is, as we see in the Garden of Eden, there was Adam and there was Chava. There was Adam and there was Eve. There was not Adam, Eve, and Bob. Right? That's the way it was set up. That's how the world was created. That's how procreation takes place. That's how, for centuries, millennia, people understood what a marriage is. And so in recent years, we have redefined it. Now, God made a promise. There will never be another flood. Uh, 
that doesn't mean there won't be something else bad that comes down the pipeline. You understand? That doesn't mean that there can't be other tragedies. So the question is, if our generation has reached the point where all of the basic assumptions are gone, and all of them are, and by the way, there is a Mishnah in Sota that discusses what's going to happen in the Messianic era, the Yemosa Mashiach. And basically what it says is, every institution is going to disintegrate. There's going to be nothing left. Nothing left. Right? Um, uh, I don't want to get into politics. At least not this week. I, I, I'm not opposed to it. I just, you know. Whether you like Trump or you don't like Trump, whether you like Trump's policies or you don't like Trump's policies, this much is clear. He has changed the definition of the presidency in America forever. And he says so. He says people say he's not presidential. He says, he says, he says this. He says people say I'm not presidential. Who wants to listen to somebody who's presidential? They're boring. <laughs> now, forget about whether or not you agree with him, you don't agree with him. This much is clear. This is not the presidency that people used to see. Things have changed dramatically. Um, uh, Robert Caro, who has written so far four of his five-volume biography of Lyndon Johnson, maintains that it was really President Johnson who changed the nature of the presidency, and after that, people lost respect for it. It doesn't make a difference, whether it's been an ongoing process or whether it was a short process, but there, there was a certain, there was a certain chashivas that went with being the president that, that doesn't exist anymore. And it says um, children won't respect their parents. Now you understand, for most of world history, it was understood there are parents and there are children. And the parents tell the children what to do. And that's why if you read any of the traditional books on chinuch, on Jewish education, they all say the same thing. You know, how the best way is to educate your child. But the assumption is that there is a child and there is a parent and that that relationship is immutable. Today it's not true. Today I have students who tell me, I don't owe my parents anything. They owe me. They chose to bring me into this world and so they owe me. Yeah. So, parent-children relationship, gone. Yeah. Marriage, gone. You know, Presidency, gone. Kings, there are no more kings. Yeah? What, what, used to, what used to be considered a monarch? Interesting, the last European monarchs, real monarchs, ended in World War I. That's why a lot of people, Barbara Tuckman, the historian, wrote a book called The Proud Tower, where she basically says that World War I destroyed institutions that had existed for thousands of years. And one of them is monarchy. There's no more real monarchy the way it was. Yeah, the Kaiser in Germany uh, came from the name Caesar. The Tsar in Russia came from the name Caesar. Um, uh, the, uh, uh, the emperor of the uh, Hungarian uh, Austrian Empire, uh, Austrian Hungarian, uh, Hungarian Empire, right, was deposed. That's it, the last monarchs, the real ones. I'm not talking about, you know, you know, in England where, you know, a kid will come, you know, supposed to be king and he starts complaining about it, how his father wasn't nice to him and stuff. You know, I'm not talking about that kind of a king. I'm talking about a real king. 
Malchus is gone. You know, you all these Russian people always joke about it. There was a king, right? So we don't even know what that means anymore. So, so, so many of the institutions that we thought were given, there is this phenomenon, and articles have been written about it, and it's a fascinating phenomenon. Children would just stop talking to their parents. They get upset about this, or upset about that, and that's it. I'm not talking to my parents anymore. Give it a name is one of the top ten commandments of all time. You understand? Yeah. No, I'm not going to talk to my parents. I won't let my children see their grandparents. You know. And evidently, this is written up in Jewish publications and, and discussions about this, and how can this be? And and rabbis and, and and psychologists and everybody's trying to work out this phenomena. It's because everything is deteriorating, everything is melting. That's what happened in the Mabel. Everything dissolved. The question is, what is the best way to respond to a society that is disintegrating around us? There was a novel that was written, I think in the 1950s, I'm pretty sure, but I'm not positive. It was called On the Beach. And it explored the following concept. There was a nuclear war between Russia and the United States, and the radiation destroyed most life on Earth. And this radiation cloud is traveling southwards. And so the book takes place in Australia, where basically they realize mankind is going to end. This is the end. What do you do when you know that the end is near, quite literally? And that's the end. Some people said, maybe we should go down to New Zealand. We'll last a little longer. But uh, that was... It was facing the inevitable. So how do you react to that? What do you do? So the thing that so many people say is, how do you survive the marble? You build a teva. You build yourself an ark. And you insulate yourself on this ark. Now, for years, for years, um... Bilam says about the Jewish people, they are a nation that dwells alone. Rashi says nobody celebrates with us. When they, ce- when they celebrate, they don't invite us. You know, we're a nation that lives alone. And that has been the lot through most of Jewish uh, history. Is that even possible today? If you're watching this, right, you obviously didn't come to hear me at a shir, right? You're you're using the internet or something like it, I suppose, to be able to to be able to follow this. You can't build walls big enough. I know a couple of yeshivas that actually did this. They put uh, cell phone blockers on top of their base measures. The cell phones don't work. You know, you try to create a dead zone. I've been asked over the years to start either a yeshiva or a seminary, and I said I'd be happy to do it, but nobody would come because I wouldn't allow phones. They said, "You mean smartphones?" Not smartphones, not dumb phones, not any phones. I'd have pay phones up on the wall that you could use during your free time. Because we've become enslaved to technology. Enslaved. Rabbi Dr. Avraham J. Tversky said that when Moshe Rabbeinu came to, to announce the Geula in Mitzrayim, it says they didn't listen to him. Shortness of spirit and the hard work. And said Rabbi Tversky, and if Mashiach came today, he'd find the same exact situation. Because we're overwhelmed. We're so busy. How do you turn it off? 
they wrote about this several years ago, about a phenomena that they call half Shabbos. There are people who can't stop texting. I understand that because they did a study and they found they took a thousand college students off of their technology, not Jews, from around the world. And they, they suffered the same withdrawal symptoms as a person coming off of cocaine. So the question is, can you still build an ark? Maybe you put a cell phone block on the top. <laughs> is there any way to keep out the water? Any way to keep out society? So, I'm not offering a solution. I don't know if there is a solution. It's a, we're living in a generation which is witnessing a disintegration of everything that society cherished. Morality, marriage, um, parents, um, you know, uh, basic decency. Everything's disintegrating. And I don't know, can the Jewish community put up walls large enough to be able to keep out the water? Able to keep out what's out there? Uh, Major Machanach that I know, and the Beis Yaakov said to me, by the time the they get around to ushering a technology, it's already morphed four different generations further. Things keep changing. We don't know where it's going to go. We don't know what's going to happen. You can't lock out these ideas. So how do we confront it? How do we bring up a family with Kedusha Vitaira, with purity and with holiness today? When, when people are being exposed to all of the terrible things and, and society itself is disintegrating. So these are all issues I want to talk about. We'll talk about them more because these are all pet peeves for me and I don't really have a forum anymore. I don't teach really. I, I travel around and I do speak, you know. But uh, this is the only soapbox I have. This is the only opportunity I have to be able to share my concerns and my thoughts, possibly solutions. And uh, if you found this interesting, so we're going to set up a uh, channel. We're going to ask you to subscribe so you know. Like I said, I'm going to try to do this every week. But I am notoriously unreliable. Yeah, it's the story of my life. Yeah. Part of it is, you know... Uh, because of my ADD. Part of it is that you get old and your memory starts to go. Reminds me about... Um... No, it's not important. But anyway, as, as, as we spend this time together, this is it. You, you are going to be my online community. <laughs> and who knows? Maybe one day we'll meet in person. And you'll say to me, I've really followed your talks. I call them talks rather than sure. I followed your talks. I followed your ideas. I found them fascinating. Here's a check. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, you know, a sharing, a sharing of ideas, an opportunity to talk. And if you found this interesting, maybe it's something you want to discuss at your Shabbos table. Maybe this is something that's an idea that you, you know, talk together with your friends, you know. Maybe for the men when they're sitting in the mikveh, you know what I mean, and they're looking for something to talk about. That's a phenomena all by itself. That deserves a whole podcast. <laughs> Just that itself is such a social experience. I really want to talk about that. But anyway, so that's it. I'm, I'm doing something that I'm not good at, and that's trying to finish on time. So I wish everybody a good Shabbos, as, as we say in these parts, a gesunde winter. You know what I mean? A healthy winter. You know, it should be health, 
should be a good year, a year of bracha, a year of, uh, of success for everybody. And uh, we should all get together and uh, exchange ideas. Thank you very much. Thank you.